We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. You know Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have joined us. I don't know how you found us, but I am glad that you have. And if you've been spreading the word, subscribing, commenting, we certainly appreciate that. If you've been interacting on social media, I certainly appreciate that as well. And before we get started with another great edition, we have some great guests coming up. I'll tell you more about that. I want to remind you guys, you can go to the WadesWordProductions.com website and subscribe to the email list. So I can send emails to you guys from time to time. In addition to that, the sports line, 24 hours a day, 832. 832- Nine four one six six one four. That's eight three two nine four one six six one four to make a comment anytime you want on any subject you want, and we may include it in the next episode of STWDW. That does not roll off your tongue. I need to come up with a better acronym. I guess that would involve me renaming the show, but that's what it is. ST. WDW. But anyway, great show uh, this time out. We have a visit with, I guess, trainer, guru, uh, sports specific specialist, <laughs> Danny Arnold, a friend of the show, who's been on several times before. And uh, we're going to talk about his facility, Plex, and what he has going on with the athletes, pro high school, college, and sort of getting his take on what's been going on with COVID and even a little bit of conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement and the fight for racial equality and the fight against racial injustice. So that's coming up. We're anticipating a visit with the Tox doc, Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry. Uh, she's been on the show before. Now, she was on the show early, what, mid-March. She was on in mid-March. Three months later, I want to say, and I'll have to look up the specific number, but on March 23rd, we were at 511 fatalities from COVID on March 23rd. And on June 23rd, we were over 120,000. Mind blowing. Okay. Mind blowing. But the tox doc, Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry is uh, scheduled to join us a little bit later on as well. So with that, before we get into some headlines, I want to talk about last time out, cause I got some comments about this. So I gave the Lamont award to folks who didn't wear masks and I use a few expletives, but yeah, let me say this. Okay. So while I really am, I'm really, really upset. I'm not, I don't want to cuss anybody out. Just in my mind, not even on my podcast, for not wearing a mask. But you should. You should wear a mask. And now it's mandatory in the surrounding counties here in the Greater Houston area. We know by now that Greg Abbott opened too soon. We know that. I mean, the truth is in the numbers because he opened too soon. Okay, I, I don't want to get go down that rabbit hole too far, but I just want to want you guys to know that the Lamont Award was in jest. So it was in, in somewhat, it was tongue-in-cheek a little bit. I mean, I meant it. I meant what I said about we need to wear masks because, again, we can make such a huge impact with such little inconvenience. You complain when we were locked down. And I look, I, I I'm feeling it. 
Believe me, because I don't go a lot of places. I don't move around. Not going back to restaurants or bars. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But I want to go back to those days. I want to go on vacation. I missed out on a summer vacation this year. I'm going to get to go away. Not even a little bit. I missed out on that. So I'm missing things too. But if we want to get back to that, we have to stop the spread of this illness. And if you're 20 something and you get sick and you just have a cough and you can't taste your food for a day, I, I get it. It's hard to live in doom and gloom. But in reality, come on, we got to do this to really eradicate this as much as possible because this thing can, again, uh, morph and uh, second wave because it, it could get nasty. So I just want you guys to know that, yes, I was having a little bit of fun with that. So I don't want people, oh, he cussed me out on the podcast. Um, no. I didn't. So with that, <laughs> with that, I did, but I didn't mean it. It was part of the show. <laughs> kind of. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> with that, it's time for Headlines. In headlines, baseball is back. Baseball is back. Baseball is back. And Houston Astros can start to vindicate themselves after the scandal they were a part of and baseball resuming. And even though we haven't seen the redacted portion of the league memo to the Yankees yet, we haven't seen that yet. And we know Boston only got a slap on the wrist. That means that we were the example, or we, uh, the Houston Astros were the example for all the Major League Baseball. Still, they can try, if they go out and win this, well, I won't even say that. I was going to say if they go out and win the World Series, they're vindicated. But you really can't get a read one way or the other on what would have happened had they played 162 games. As it stands, 60 games. And if the Astros get off to a slow start, and of course you have McCullers coming back off of uh, injury, you have Verlander coming off to a lesser injury, but uh, a little elbow work done. And if those guys get get off to a slow start, they may not make the playoffs. Does that mean, oh, they only got there because they cheated? No, no. It's not an indication of anything. If the Dodgers don't win it, if the Yankees don't win it, if the Astros don't win it, it's not a real indication of how the arc of the season would have gone had you had 162 games. But it's back. Now, Crane, Jim Crane, the owner of the Houston Astros, says, hey, at some point we're anticipating fans in the building. You know, it's like, do you guys have the news? <laughs> like, do you read a news? Well, you probably don't read the newspaper. Do you not have the internet or CNN, MSNBC, or even Fox News? Did you not see what's going on? Yet they're moving forward, and I get it. There are billions of dollars on the line for these leagues. But in reality, a lot of folks, especially here, Houston, Texas, and Florida, I mean, hey, the new epicenter, Arizona, new epicenters for the coronavirus. And so you can keep talking about moving forward, but more and more players are testing positive. Now, what does that mean? What is, and again, there's so many questions to answer. And I know that MLB had like 100 pages of provisions. But what happens if, if a whole team can't play? What if you have to quarantine 15, 16 guys off of a roster? What happens if your entire bullpen tests positive? I'm not even talking about one player. And it's going to be really hard in baseball because they're going to play at home. They're going to travel. They're going to be on planes and hotels. They're going to be wide open. They're not in the bubble at all. And to think that we're going to have fans is just incredible to me because sports moves forward. 
and nobody is really paying attention to the numbers and the 121,000 folks are dead, dead from this disease. And we are moving forward like we are not even processing this. I'm having a tough time understanding why and how. But at the same time, you want to return to some sort of normalcy. Herd immunity. That's not working. And that's the term you hear. Herd immunity. That's not working. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm glad to have baseball back. And uh, when it gets back, and we'll see. It'll be great to have sports back. All sports back. NBA getting close. Guys are falling out of uh, going to the bubble. So far, A big, the biggest name, I think, has been Avery Bradley uh, for the Lakers. He's a one of those guys that's a, a solid contributor. He can have a night where he can bail you out. Or he can be that third guy or that fifth guy that comes up big and gives you just what you need to overcome in a series. He's not going because of concerns of his six-year-old son who has respiratory illnesses. And he just does not want to be a part of – he doesn't want to be away from his son. He doesn't think his son can get cleared to come into the bubble. It's just too much going on, and he wants to see about his son. Also, Trevor Ariza is not going. And uh, we talked about Bertans not going. For the bullets or the <laughs> bullets, the wizards, <laughs> the, that's too much re- retro basketball. That's what that, I blame that on that too much retro basketball. I went full fledged bullets on them. Uh, so we'll see if other guys do not show up, but we're getting closer and we'll have to see what happens. And I think it's going to be a big, big deal when and they anticipate a win, a player gets sick. Say if you're in the conference semifinals. And LeBron gets sick or Kawhi. Oh, I mean, however, because again, we, we, they're in a bubble, but the employees that service them are not. And we know that Florida is quickly becoming the epicenter of this disease and they'll be in Orlando, Florida. So we'll have to see what happens. And of course, the biggest story uh, sort of with uh, ramifications, not just on the sports page, Bubba Wallace, uh, the FBI investigated the noose that was found. I touched on it last time out. But there was a noose found in his garage. He was notified. He didn't see the noose. He was notified by NASCAR after one of the guys in his crew discovered the noose and reported it. And they put out a statement. Everybody went crazy and rightfully so. I've been beefing with people on Twitter about this. And this is how you know the racism is real. Because you have people pouncing on the fact that the FBI did an investigation and found out that the noose, and it was a noose, by every description, it was still a noose. They'll say, well, okay, it was a garage door pull. But it was formed in the shape of a noose. They said it was back, it had been there since last year, uh, sometime in, in 2019. So it's been there in August or September of, of 2019. And so it wasn't a hate crime. He's not the victim of a hate crime. So instead of everybody rejoicing, you have those who I think are letting their racist, their Confederate undergarments show because they're going in on him and NASCAR like, oh, it's a fraud. You see what they do? You see what they do? The political correctness of of, of mass media, the left wing media, like, let's step back. Okay, did folks jump the gun? Because there were a lot of passionate statements. There were tears. There was a lot of emotion about around this because no one wanted to see this. So instead, instead of rejoicing, saying, well, man, this is great news. People are blaming Bubba Wallace. They're blaming the media. 
look, no one was there. No media members could have been there to do a lot of work to, to research what exactly happened. You get a statement from NASCAR that says a news was found. Now, if you want to fault anybody, you can say, well, NASCAR could have re released a more subtle statement saying we what we believe to be a noose. But if it's a noose, it's a noose. So you have to jump to the conclusion in NASCAR that if there's a noose there in the garage of the only African-American driver, you have to say to yourself, this is what it is. And, and I still look, everybody did the right thing. Marty Smith on ESPN, everybody went off. And rightfully so, I said, we need to find who did this and get them out of here. But the folks with the Confederate undergarments are saying, well, hey, you jumped the gun and look at you. Don't you look? You have egg on your face. You'll have these aha moments with folks in the media for commenting on what is very plausible in a very segregated sport. No one was really surprised or shocked by the possibility of a noose hanging in his garage because it's NASCAR. If you tell me that in the NBA, NFL, even Major League Baseball, I'd be like, well, no, 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 that can't be that. But if you tell me that happened in NASCAR, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 on par with, with their history. Again, they haven't had a full-time driver since 1971. Wendell Scott, Wendell Scott's last race in NASCAR was 1973. 1973. Now you got Bubba Wallace. So it's not far-fetched. Where it is front-page news for a sport where it is front-page news that the Confederate flag can no longer fly at their events. We can't act like, why did we jump to conclusions about a noose? You can't do it. And if you do it, that means that you're, again, your Confederate undies are showing because you can't wait to pounce on this instead of celebrating the fact that, okay, we were wrong. There was no racist, racist incident there. Let's not pretend that, oh, we're just we're in a racial society because of the media. No, these sorts of things happen. That's why the FBI came down and investigated. So I want to say to all of those people, keep that same energy for the person at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. If you want to do all that, you want to get on the fact checking. We can get on some damn fact checking. We can look into some things. If you want to get into fact checking and truth telling. So there's that. Also, I was trying to talk about Richard Petty's car and I said, STD. It was STP. That was the product. <laughs> so I don't know how I messed that one up. My bad. I get a mini Lamont award for that. So with that, we are going to hear from our guy, Danny Arnold. Danny Arnold, I've been on for years, uh, does a great job as a trainer, training pro athletes. They do physical therapy. Uh, he's cultivating young high school athletes. They're doing a lot of great work. And man, this guy, I've learned, I learned so much from this guy. I mean, now you can't tell by looking at me per se, <laughs> but I've learned so much about uh, how to work out the most efficient workouts. I learned a lot from this guy, and I think a lot of pro athletes around the, the country and around the world have learned a lot from him. That's why they keep going to him. He is a renowned, known all over the country by pro athletes everywhere in all sorts of sports uh, for being the expert that he is. So uh, in just a second, we'll hear a little bit from Danny Arnold. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on any platform in which you get your podcast. For more content, go to wadewordproductions.com.
As promised, I've got Danny Arnold back again. We are so glad to have him. Danny, first and foremost, how are you and your family? How's everybody been making out during the uh, the course of coronavirus? Well, hey, thank you for having me again. It's, uh, I love coming on here. But to answer your question, yeah, everybody's doing really good. We've actually been very careful from day one when we started the business a long time ago in keeping things very clean and making sure that everything is you know, run properly. So for us, the transition hasn't been as difficult as I, I would assume for a lot of other people. But everybody's doing good. I have to say that, and I, you know, man, I really appreciate you through all of the years. And I, I wasn't there at the very beginning, but really early on, I got to watch you grow and evolve and get bigger and better, and more and more people recognize you. And I really, I'm really excited and happy for you, man, in the arc of your career and what you've been able to do. I remember you back at Texas Southern, so it's, it's been that long ago. But uh, you know, you've always been just a good guy. And you know, as you say that about your facility, one of the things that I've always known. Notice in, in retrospect, as we talk about it, everything has always been on point and clean at all your facilities. It hadn't been like the average kind of, you know how gyms can be, weights all over the place. You guys mm-hmm. are, aren't like that. I mean, none of your facilities have ever been like that. You've always been super, super clean, uh, even before the pandemic. No, we have. And, you know, we always try to hold a higher standard. I mean, we're very fortunate that we work with so many professional athletes, but then also at the same time, because we work with physical therapy. Now you got that medical presence in our facility. So your standard is going to be a lot higher. And that's actually where we've kind of butted heads sometimes with other gyms or other facilities because, you know, we do it very different. And, you know, you might call it conservative. Uh, I just call it professionalism. You know, over here, I don't care who you are. You can't take off your shirt. You know, if you're dripping sweat all the time, we're going to be telling you, hey, man, you need to come over here and swap out shirts or something like that. You can't be walking around like that. And, and this is what I'm speaking to pros. And the ones that are a good fit here are going to respect that because they want that around themselves. The ones that aren't a good fit here would probably get upset about it. But like I said, if you look around, a lot of people have other things. Uh, they're very relaxed and other things. And, you know, we're just not like that. We, we are trying to keep a professional environment because, hey, we are professionals and we are working with professionals. So we want to have that A-class type of uh, facility for them. One of the things that happened when folks could no longer go to gyms and we had to quarantine is that you guys got on the cutting edge again, uh, releasing videos and keeping people engaged physically, even when they couldn't come to, to the uh, facility. Talk a little bit about how you got going with that and some of the things that led into you guys doing that. Well, you know, Evan, we, we already have so many obstacles and so many hurdles and then so many excuses on why we're not into fitness the way that we should be, that why we're not working out every day. I'm, I'm the same person that I'll tell you the same thing. Every single evening, uh, I'll tell you, oh, I'm too tired. I, I, I need to go home, spend more time with the family. Or I'll justify it saying that I worked with the guys so much that I really don't need to work out for myself. So I'm even my own worst enemy when it comes down to finding an excuse to not work out. When this epidemic came about, I mean, you have legitimately given a reason to everybody to not be working out anymore. And that's something that we wanted to prevent. And so we came up with these, I thought they were great. And I think we've been from the reviews hearing nothing but great reviews on how good the workouts are. And we did it. We went online, offered them a hundred percent free. There's no catch to it. And it's been perceived and accepted by many, many people throughout not only the country, actually, we have a little group in Croatia that's actually been doing the workouts and they've been sending us the reviews on it. And so Every single day, uh, pretty much, I started putting together videos that will put you through an hour workout that you can do at your own home. And you didn't need weights. You didn't need 
ropes, you need bands or anything like that. You just needed some water jugs, maybe some tennis shoes to use as, as your cones. And we created these workouts and they started doing extremely, extremely well. And uh, it's gotten us a lot of attention. But at the same time, it's helped out a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise be working out when uh, when the, this epidemic's going through. Well, you guys have opened back up, and obviously folks have come flooding in. I've seen some of the media stuff out and about, so a lot, a lot of high-profile stories on you, and and folks are just have been eager to go and work out. How's it been since everybody's been back? Have you been able to sort of social distance appropriately? How's that? How's any of that? Logistically, how's that going? Well, you know, the way that we do our, our scheduling here, because nobody can just walk in and work out whenever they want to. We're obviously everything's controlled. Everything's with a trainer or a therapist. With that being said, it allows us to control our schedule. So we have a set number of people that we allow in the facility at the same time. We've been doing that forever. So we've always been able to control it. But it's just now we put even more attention rather than saying 15 or 20 people can come in at one hour. We say, let's go to 10 or 12 people. And since we have a pretty large facility, now we go even further when we're doing the drills, even though these two drills can take place next to each other. We say, hey, why don't we do the tire jumps over there? Why don't we do the quick feet over here? Why don't we do the the band presses over here? So we purposely are able to separate. And so because of our program and because we're not a gym, meaning in the sense that we don't have memberships where people can walk in on their own, we're able to control the environment very well. And then also at the same time continuously sanitizing all the equipment in between these sets and reps that these uh well the, the individuals are doing now i know that you you deal closely obviously with with a lot of athletes on a lot of different levels what kind of feedback have you gotten from the athletes are they concerned or how concerned I mean, because i know younger folks especially guys and girls who are in great great physical shape they don't tend to worry about this as much do you have to find yourself talking to these folks and say hey you still it's still a, a virus out here how do you handle it well we've, we've got to take it and look at it you know glass half full because of the fact that here's an opportunity for all these athletes that can take advantage of this time off whether it be away from their teams or, you know, with organizations that they work with and that take advantage of it and get it into better, better shape than before. So when they come back, they're, they're going to be a surprise to that team. And that's one thing they've embraced it really well. They've all taken it as that way that, hey, here's a, an opportunity for me to get even better without the team even playing a role into it. So I love it, of course, because it's going to give us a lot more credibility uh, or even more, I guess, results. Uh, when they come back and they're in better shape than anticipated. I think, too, though, the fact is that here we have a very positive environment, and, and that's very important, and the reason is because we get a lot of players, and I don't care what level you're talking about, they hear so much negativity on the outside, whether it be from the news or their coaches or their family members or their friends, whatever it is, there's so much negativity that when they come in here, and I take it as a responsibility that our staff passes on a positive vibe in here that, Hey, although we're all going through all this kind of stuff, you got to look at the positive out of it. And we don't even know what's going to happen. You look at all the NFL players I got every day, and we don't even know if there's going to be a football season. I mean, we're looking at these other leagues, and they're not happening. And so it, it, it becomes kind of uh, of a challenge, but it's our responsibility, mine in particular, to make sure that these guys have a positive attitude when it comes down to coming through here and, and leaving here with a positive attitude. Have you heard of any athletes that you know or uh, know of uh, or friends or teammates of some of the folks that work out that have had it, and how have they recovered? You know, we've had two guys actually from College Station, A&M, that were tested positive, and then they took a second test, 
on their own dollar, and they and they find out that it was a negative. So that's about as close we've had with um, positives or negatives. But the truth is, a lot of a lot of our athletes here, uh, a lot of our pro athletes. Let me say that, and I say a lot, meaning probably about eight, nine, ten of them. They feel that at some time or another, they probably had it. They just didn't even realize that they had it. You know, now we're we're also jumping the gun, just like maybe two months ago, I had flu-like symptoms or I had a bad weekend. Now you start questioning, well, maybe I did have it. And so that's been something that's kind of circulated around here as far as the, the notion that some of these guys must have had it. But as far as uh, positive, no, we, we haven't had one person uh, that's been in our, our uh, I guess, clientele or our staff that's uh, tested positive at all. Now, and I'll ask you one last thing about Corona, and I want to shift gears a little sure. bit. My question is, and I'm I'm curious about this because li- we literally don't know anyone who's had has lived through Corona for six months because you know literally we don't you know it's it's new to the world, new to us here in the United States, or, or so they say, and, and we don't know exactly when it arrived. But for the most part, we have not seen the, like a full year of uh, anyone with Corona. Do you think a world class athlete or top notch athlete? can recover back to their original form just from what you've heard and what you uh, what you understood of the illness because i know they say people recover but recovery for a regular person and a top-notch athlete are two different things what are your thoughts on that well i always believe that a, a lot of the factors and a lot of the things that that take place in as far as on in the human as far as illnesses are a lot of those are self-induced i'm not painting it where that uh, uh, everything that happens to us is, is self-induced, but there is a lot of factors. And what I mean by that is if you have a strong immune system, if you're taking care of your diet and you're exercising regular, you're going to be able to withstand a lot of things that are out there. And again, I'm not in any way, shape, or form downplaying the coronavirus, but also at the same time, I am talking about little things from infections to common cold and flus, that if you have a strong immune system, then your defense system is going to be so much better than the average Joe or that person that has high cholesterol is overweight or whatever symptoms that they might have. And so when you're dealing with a clientele, which for the most part, we have a clientele that's somewhat healthy. And then obviously with our elite level athletes, they're unbelievably in shape and their immune systems second to none. There is no lack of confidence here of anyone where that if they got it, that they're going to be, you know, condemned to something very, very bad for the next few months or even later on. So to answer your question, yeah, they all, anybody has not been as concerned as maybe uh, someone that had high blood pressure or diabetic or something like that, because they all feel that their immune system is very strong and that they'll be able to rebound from whatever uh, symptoms that they show or they receive from the coronavirus. Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit. Of course, not that's not the only thing that's been going on in the world. Obviously, the calls uh, to combat and fight racial injustice. You are a Texas Southern grad. You're an HBCU guy. And, of course, you are immersed around people of various backgrounds, not the least of which are African Americans. What are you picking up from your athletes as it pertains to some of the the, the things that are going on in the, the structural changes in how we operate? Because it, you know your facilities, all you I mean you all, colorblind. No, you know everybody's in this thing together, and it's always been a welcoming environment for everybody. What are you hearing from your athletes about that? Are, are, are some of them more motivated to speak out, or do you have any of those kinds of conversations with the athletes? You know, and to, and to paint the picture to your listeners, like you, you said it, we're colorblind over here. And our facility, 
you know, you come in one time and you got uh, 90% blacks and you got a few whites. And then you come one time, you have Hispanics and you'll have Asians and you'll have, and you know, my background, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mutt. I'm a mix of everything. And, and then I went to TSU and I was pretty much like the only white kid out of the 15,000 students when I was there. And so I've been fortunate and I say very fortunate to live in a, in a lifestyle that, that didn't play a big role on me. In other words, we never looked at it as black kid, white kid, or brown kid, whatever it is. And, and that's kind of something that we've carried on. And you can see it with our staff. I mean, uh, our staff is, my goodness, we could have we could have made the covers of a magazine with all the diversity that we have. And, and it wasn't done on purpose. It was just, that's how it is, because we never you know looked at colors in a different manner. But to answer your question, I think, and here's the sad thing about it, none of them are shocked about it. This has been going on for as long as, you know, as long as they've been alive. It's just that now finally someone is doing something about it or, or the society is stepping up in a way that they should have stepped up in a long, in a long time ago. And I agree 100 percent. I mean, there's major, major problems in our society. And I think that's the, what I'm collecting more from the athletes is like it's almost like it's about time that they start putting more attention to it they're not saying something new is out there they're saying that this has been going on for so long it's just that for whatever reason we've been kind of hiding it you know you're seeing all these companies now well they're looking into what their slogans look like or their logo looks like or what their company stands for i'm like why didn't you do that in the first place i mean why why was it ever a time where you could just you know throw it under the rug you know and it's kind of goes back to the coronavirus type thing we talked about. People are like, man, did you have to change everything you do at Plex? I'm like, no, we've been cleaning all the time. We've been having hand sanitizers all throughout the facility. I always walked in my car. I don't care as long as I can remember. Every time I walked inside my car, I always put hand sanitizer in my hands. So I've never changed anything. And so that's the same thing when I look at it with these companies. You know, I, I kind of sit back and I'm like, I'm shocked that they, they're saying, well, we got to look back and see all the mistakes we've made. I'm like, you guys should have been doing those things in the first place. I was wrong. And I think players are now saying that, and they're agreeing with that, obviously, that it's finally something that is, is forcing them. Unfortunately, it's forcing them for people to pay attention to something that should have been paid attention to a long, long time ago. And now there's major repercussions. And so the people that aren't doing it are going to start paying the price, whether it be from losing customers or lawsuits or you name it. Right. Now, I want to ask you about what you guys have going on. You, Of course, last time you were on, you were about to go to the new facility. You have a new facility now. Uh, it's the bomb from everything I've seen on all the uh, you know, all the stories I've seen uh, about things going on at Plex. Uh, talk a little bit about the new facility. Are you, are you getting settled in? Are you, are you comfortable yet? Well, we're still in the construction process. But we're in, of course, and we, we're very fortunate. I mean, days like today, we had uh, – you know, tons of people here, and then we're, we're staying dry where other people couldn't. But we're still in construction in the sense that uh, the coronavirus kind of threw us a curveball where we were supposed to have an outdoor football field completed, and obviously we had to halt that. So we're just now slowly getting that back up. But we have a pretty large 20,000-square-foot facility that allows us to do pretty much anything we want, no no holding back. So it's been it's been great. Uh, we're right off the, the – basically the freeway. We're off uh, the Fort Bend Toll Road and the Bellway 8, so – couldn't get any better as far as convenience for all the people. And again, when you have a large facility, you staff it with some good people, uh, you're going to have some great, great results. So it's been very good.
I saw now one thing I have to knock you for. Now when I was in high school, I went to Marion Christian, and our arch rivals were the straight Jesuit Jebbies. So, so I see a lot of Jebbies over there working out. Uh, How is it working with the high schoolers, man? I, I see those guys, man. They they look really motivated. Aside from the fact they the straight Jesuit, our arch rivals in high school, uh, how is that working out for you? Well, you know, to add to that, or I guess I don't know if you knew this, but I went to St. Thomas for two years. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I I can't believe it. I'm and I'm working with all these straight Jesuit kids. Uh, so I call them the same way, Jebbies. But it's been great, you know. And they they did exactly that we talked about earlier. They turned a bad situation into a great situation. They come together, the parents got together, the kids got together, and they say, hey, man, let's, let's bring in you know, as many people as we can at this 1 o'clock uh, you know, Monday through Friday slot. And so they've been coming in, and we've been training them, and it's, it's been awesome, the camaraderie, and the, the, they've been challenging each other. And they themselves, since they don't have the whole team, they got a, a good bit of the team here. they got about 25 kids coming here every day. But now they look at it like, hey, man, I can't wait to report to camp because I'm going to be in so much better shape than those kids that weren't coming because they know. And it's not bragging, it's not being arrogant, but obviously if you're training here versus you're training on a normal high school program, you're going to come you know, head and shoulders above everybody when you come back to camp. So uh, they know that, and so they're, they're milking as much as they can, and they're, they're thriving on it. So it's been, it's been great. I have to tell you a straight Jesuit story off of the air. <laughs> I have to share that with you a little bit later on. But, you know, also uh, you have a Hall of Famer, Bruce Matthews. There, I saw Jeff Blake, former NFL quarterback, Cincinnati Bengal, uh, also, uh, what, East Carolina, I believe he went to college. Yeah, East Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember I remember Jeff in, in college. He, uh, yeah, he was doing his thing. You know, how are those guys working out? And, and what does it mean to have guys who've had such storied uh, NFL careers working at, working with you guys at the facility? Well, it's it's great, you know. As a as a coach, or as a as a parent, or as a teacher, your goal is to treat people in the in the manner that you want to be treated. And if you treat them in that way, in a good way, but you also educate them and motivate them, one day they're going to circle back and want to do something with you. And I think that's the things that are happening. Jeff Blake has been awesome. Now he's moved to Houston just to run the quarterback academy, you know, inside a plex. And so just like what we're doing with Bruce Matthews, now we're doing and technical side of quarterbacks as much as we are doing the office alignment as much as we are the defensive back so it's been a great great addition on top of that i mean they're great people you know and that's the thing is that don't get lost on just the skill set they are great great people good father figures mentors so when whenever i'm referring clients to him and working with them together i know they're in great hands just like real simple i mean i want my son to work with him and that i, I would never put my my son or my daughter, unless they're working with the best. And, and that's in all aspects of life, not just the technical side, but also as a mentor and as a father and as a parent and as a teacher. And and it's great been lining up with those kind of people. Hey, well, like I said, man, it's been uh, great catching up with you again. How can folks reach out and get more information on Plex? Real simple. All of our social media platforms, it's uh, Plex Athlete. Or they can go to our website, PlexAthlete.com. Love for them uh, to go in there if you got any questions or anything reach out to me and i'd love to answer them from now i know you guys uh you were getting really busy with volleyball you still doing a lot of volleyball stuff oh yeah we got uh, a lot of volleyball because we're right next door to a volleyball club and so now a lot of these volleyball girls are just coming over right after they're done and they're they're getting all their physical therapy and all their training so it's done really good for us this facility hey man well i certainly appreciate it and, and it's always good catching up with you all right man it's great talking to you guys talk to you soon take care 
our guy Danny Arnold. Going to take a time out now, come back on the other side with the Tox Doc. That is Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry. We're going to talk all about COVID and COVID and sports and all of that good stuff. Some very informative things coming up on the other side. But first, a word from our sponsor. It's Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. It's easy. Oh baby, pour me water, mm, holy water, quench mm, this fire. Uh-huh. Pour me water, some holy water, make it quench this fire. Everybody want me, make I know fall in love with you, but I know answer them, I tell them saying are you. Welcome back to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I want to remind you guys, if you have music you'd like to hear on our podcast, just hit us up at music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre does not matter as long as it's uh, radio edit. And we'll play a snippet at the halfway point of the podcast. And at the end, we'll play an extended portion of a mix or the entire song or whatever. Again, just hit us up. We are wide open. We are open to all genres of music, and it will expose your music, if I can say it, expose your music to a wide audience from all over the world. Uh, Also, the Sports Line. Sports Talk uh, with Devin Wade. Sports Line 832-941-6614. Now, look, (laughs) I've been beefing with people on Twitter like, oh, you you don't know anything about NASCAR. This is all about the Bubba Wallace thing. You don't know anything about NASCAR. Actually, I know more than he thinks, the Twitter guy. But he has to remember <laughs> that Sunday, Sunday, somebody flew a flag over a, a Confederate flag over Talladega. Sunday. What was it? <laughs> Saying defund NASCAR. That was Sunday. But, hey, without further ado, let's get into our conversation. She's a space toxicologist, among other things. She is very well credentialed and somebody whose word you can trust because she knows what she's talking about. Uh, This is Dr. Noreen Con Mayberry, the Tox Doc, on Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. As promised... Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry, the Tox Doc, is with us again. And I wanted to get you on as a public service because I think that a lot of people, judging by the numbers, the numbers alone, a lot of people yeah. think that we are over 
the coronavirus and COVID-19 is a thing of the past because it's summertime. And uh, we, yeah. we visited in March. And, mm-hmm. and, and let me give some background for the folks who are out there listening to know who you are. You are a toxicologist and a bioterrorism expert, among other yes. things, and a yes. space toxicologist as well. Right. I am a toxicologist with four specialties, uh, environmental toxicology, space toxicology, food nutritional toxicology. I'm a medical science expert with a public health background in bioterrorism. That's good to know. That's a buzzword, bioterrorism. And we're going to shelve that one for a little bit later on in this conversation. But I want to start with, we visited in March, and I I looked at something, and the numbers, the number of fatalities on March 23rd was uh, 511 in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, June 23rd, three three months later, it was over 121,000 deaths. So Mm -hmm. what have we learned since we first visited in mid-March about this virus that we didn't know as well in March? So there's a couple of really key important things that we've learned. Number one, we have learned that the heat is not slowing down this virus. The heat is not killing this virus. And as a matter of fact, the numbers that we're seeing in terms of the percentages of people that are getting COVID-19, is that we're seeing more people that need to be actually admitted to the hospital and more people that are needing to admitted, be admitted into ICU. Ideally, the majority of people who were to contract COVID-19 or the coronavirus, you would be able to recover at home. And a very small percentage would need to be hospitalized. And now when we look at states like Texas, you know, we've got hospitals that are over capacity. We've got ICU that's over capacity and beds so that we had to open up the children's hospital in Houston to receive adults because there were no more beds available. So that's one key thing to notice that heat is not killing it. So the downturn that we thought we'd see in the summer or the respite that we thought we'd have so that we could enjoy the summertime, we're definitely not seeing that. The other thing that is really, really key, and not enough people are talking about it, but now we know that once you have recovered from coronavirus and you have antibodies, your immunity may only last for two to three months. Wow. So So unlike the flu, which is uh, around a year, we're looking at two to three months of immunity? Right. And we're seeing patients, like there was one patient She actually uh, left the hospital two weeks later, was right back in the hospital with COVID-19. As a matter of fact, Dr. Fauci finally said it publicly, you know, because we've been talking about this since April. We've been seeing different reporting from China and from other countries. Hey, looks like immunity is only lasting for two months. But there was another study that Nature published and that Science Magazine published that showed, yes, immunity may only last for two to three months. Why have we not heard that more? I mean, it seems like that would be front page news. Why have we not heard that more? I don't know. You know, we're hearing a lot from um, physicians, and that's wonderful because they're in the front line. They are dealing with patients directly. However, when you're talking about science and public health experts, you know, a lot of them aren't getting as much airtime as you're getting. You're seeing the same physicians every single day. You aren't seeing an, as many scientists. Sometimes you see, you know, scientists that a company may have uh, a relationship with, 
but that doesn't necessarily have the specialized expertise, or maybe they just aren't even keeping up with this information from whom. Sometimes things are suppressed. Uh, I can't really answer why we aren't hearing about it more, but it's definitely not getting the attention. I was very pleased when I heard Dr. Fauci actually say this week that, number one, we're not in the second wave. We are technically still in the first wave. And that, you know, this, that we are, you know, really starting to see more evidence that immunity is not sustained for very long after getting, the, getting coronavirus and recovering from it. Another key thing that we know is that, you know, a lot of people think that once you get over coronavirus, you only have to swell quarantine for 14 days or two weeks. Several patients really need to quarantine for much longer. Some of them, you know, maybe five weeks, some of them a month, over two months or more even. That's because they're still contagious after the two weeks? Well, they're still susceptible themselves. So it is just they're not safe enough to go back into the environment where, you know, COVID-19 is and think, well, I'm over this and I'm not going to get it again. So a lot of it is a precaution for the patients. Some of it is because there's so much respiratory damage that it's just too much of a risk to tell them to go out after 14 days. You know, and again, there aren't respiratory damage is not having to, happening to everybody, but it's happening to a lot of people, especially when you have the severe cases, people with pre-existing conditions or PECs. So people who have those pre-existing conditions, especially when you're talking about people with allergies, people with asthma, and I, we talked about that, you know, back in March, but you think about that, people with an allergy, it's allergy season for many people, that's a lot of people. So if you're already suffering from that and you're already compromised because you may have various um, levels of severity in terms of how you respond to allergens, this is just not a time for you to be outdoors. So a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't want a patient to get reinfected. But again, I want to make clear that the physicians that you're seeing, they're dealing with these patients up close and personal. And it's great that we hear from them. We need to hear those stories because the more we hear that, the more people you will see actually taking seriously in terms of getting a mask. Now, another thing I want to talk about in terms of wearing a mask, you know, in the beginning, you know, we were very low on PPE. And even I said, look, a dust mask is not going to stop you from getting coronavirus. A, a mask that you put on protects the other person. However, once we started talking about everybody wearing masks and protecting each other, yes, that's a great idea. The more that you put on those face masks, those droplets that you invariably transfer, you know, from person to person, be it through talking, be it through any kind of, you know, breathing and up-close contact, they're going to get trapped in that mask. So it doesn't infect the person that you are across from, adjacent to, or next to, or walking by. And I want to ask, and I want to, because I really want to reiterate that a little bit later on, but I want to ask you about from March to now, what about mutation? How much has this virus mutated? Are we seeing things that we didn't see initially in some mm -hmm. of uh, some of the, the symptoms, or not necessarily the symptoms, but some of the, the damage caused as mm -hmm. these viruses sort of mutate or not? What, what have we seen in that way? So most coronaviruses will mutate. They thought that this coronavirus would mutate very quickly earlier in the year. They are showing that it is not mutating as quickly 
And generally, in terms of symptoms, we're seeing pretty much the same symptoms across the board. What did emerge since March was the children who are getting infected and having symptoms that are like a Kawasaki disease. So they're getting, um, you know, an immune response that's attacking them all over their body. It's giving them swelling. And, you know, what's so terrible about a child having to be admitted for COVID-19 is just like an adult, you can't have family around that child. That child is only in that hospital room having to recover from COVID-19 all on their own and trying to control that disease. So you're seeing a lot more severity there. So that is a big difference from March as well, is seeing the, you know, what's happening in certain children. At one time, Chicago had several kids that were experiencing those Kawasaki disease-like symptoms. And I encourage the audience, just Google Kawasaki disease and COVID-19, and you will see the list of symptoms there. So what do you think about and again, this is not even a political thing. And, and answer it however you right. need to answer. But what do you think about just opening up schools? TEA would not not mandating masks at this point. Right. As a a, prof- a scientist, what do you as a yes. toxicologist? What do you say about mm-hmm. that? So, from a medical science standpoint, from a toxicologist standpoint, our first duty is to you know look after the health of people. Make sure this is a public health emergency. Make sure that we are doing things to protect the health of the public. And so science is not political, yet it's being politicized. I don't like that. I don't want to get into left versus right because that has nothing to do with the coronavirus disease. Coronavirus affects you regardless of your political affiliation. And so when you have experts in public health that are saying, hey, we don't need to open up so quickly. We do need to wear masks. There are other types of tests available. Oh, now we're finding out immunity doesn't last that long. You have to make decisions that are guided by public health experts and get, and be informed from around the world because there are other countries that have, you know have reopened and they've seen a resurgence, like in China. You know, so you're looking over in Asia and you're saying, oh wow. Some people are reacting. Some areas are able to open up just fine because they're all wearing the mask. They're all mandating them. And other places that open and they don't wear the mask, they're seeing a resurgence. So this is, you know, these are you have to make risk based decisions that are based upon informed data. You You have to be informed by data. You know, you can't you can't just go out there and say, well, business is bad. So let's open it up. Business is, is true. It's business is bad. And there's nothing worse than small business owners. I personally also have a consulting company and my business is shot. So I understand how that is. But at the same time, is it better to have a strong business or to lose a life? And so if we want to really move and change how we protect each other, it's a shame when you have local health experts that want to mandate a mask, but then they're undercut by a higher level that says, no, you don't need to wear a mask. It is frustrating when you see leaders that aren't modeling good behavior. And when I say modeling good behavior, I mean, you need to show people that you're wearing a mask. You need to show people that you're using gloves. You need to show people that when one person steps up to a podium for a microphone, they take off their mask or they put it under their chin, which is a bad thing to do. That's not how you wear a mask. And you have spit on the mic. Then you back away from the mic. And the next person comes up, pulls down their mask, and they spit on the mic. Some of that, that's not good behavior. 
you have to model good behavior. But even those people, they're doing much better than people who just won't even wear a mask. Don't make it political. It is not a hoax. The numbers are not lying. And it's getting, like here in Texas, the numbers are worse than ever. These are the worst numbers we've ever had. Before, we were doing fairly well. And I was so excited. I was happy that, hey, we're not, you know, we're not climbing as rapidly. But we've never leveled off, and now we're skyrocketing. And that is because that coincides with us opening back up. A lot of people say it's coinciding with the protests. Actually, our testing is so slow, it really coincides with us opening back up. We don't even have, you know, people don't even have the data, the full data yet for people who have, you know, participated in peaceful assembly or protests. So yeah. all of that's coming, too. So bottom line, school, you don't think we're ready in the fall? or, or I mean, just from your medical, uh, your medical opinion, or, 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 yeah. how, how, can, how can that happen? So I think that school opening up on time is, a, is, is just not, does not make me comfortable at all as a mom, but more so as, you know, an expert. Because the thing is, if you're going to tell me that you're going to open a pool and you're going to um, not mandate that, that the kids wear those face covers, that's just as bad. They're in an indoor enclosed environment. So when you have an indoor environment, yes, you have air exchanges from the air conditioner, but again, it's not like a moving breeze and wind that moves those germs out of the area quickly. You've got kids that are talking that are not probably not going to respect that six-foot distancing rule. And then, you know, they have, they run the risk of infecting each other. It's a myth out there that only the elderly are getting COVID-19 and coronavirus. Kids are getting it. We can point to in Fort Bend ISD right after these high school, these outdoor high school graduations that they had, where they were socially distanced six feet apart, a group of kids went to the beach and 13 of them came back and tested positive for coronavirus. They just graduated, and then they graduated to coronavirus. I'm not making light of the situation, but you think an outdoor exposure isn't dangerous? Well, going to the beach evidently was dangerous for them. So think about that indoors. Now you've taken out the fact that you can actually move air much more quickly outside than you can indoors, and you've got several kids that are going to school, and they're breathing on each other. Again, if you take the precautions of opening up schools, distancing those desks, because it's been done in other countries, look at what they've done, okay? Those kids have worn masks, really young kids. So open them up, make sure that there's a distance around them. They've even made like little makeshift wings for really tiny kids that are in kindergarten that keep them six feet apart. Look at what they're doing and then make that decision. But don't say we're going to open up the schools and we're not going to make the kids wear masks. We're not going to make them cover their mouths. The worst information that I'm seeing out there are people that are saying that you're breathing in your own carbon dioxide where you, when you wear a mask or you're going to get hypoxia when you wear a face cover. This is just untrue. People keep sending me these poorly written documents. And when I say poorly written, I mean, they're t it's terrible English. So you know it comes from someone who is not American. It comes from overseas, and it's written to try to scare people out of wearing masks. And it couples that, hey, take supplements instead to say, boost your immunity, don't wear a mask, masks are dangerous. And a lot of people in groups who are wary about wearing masks or who believe in just immunity is going to cure everything, they believe this and they transmit this data on. And people say, well, 
Dr. Noreen, why aren't you telling people this? Like, if you go to my page, you'll see what I've posted. But, again, social media suppresses that because it's not profitable for me to give out free information unless I'm paying them to put that in people's timeline feeds. So a lot of that goes into why we don't see and we don't hear the best data and the best information. There are nefarious actors out there. Think about back in March when the whole, oh, black people can't get coronavirus was going around. Right. And, and the, some- yeah, in the conspiracy theory, it was bioterrorism on yeah. China's. And we still kind of we're hearing that from from political leaders. <laughs> so. Right. And again, I, I got to stay away from politics. But, yeah, calling it what we don't know that it actually is, is just not right. I mean, let's stick to the facts on what we know about this disease. And here's here's the other point. Once we do find out where coronavirus originated from, whether or not it was from bats that were infected in that, you know, food, open air food market or not. The fact is our main priority right now is stopping deaths of people, stopping deaths of our American people. And now we're at 120,000. Another thing that we've learned is that it took us very little time to get to 100,000 cases. They're saying the next 100,000, I'm sorry, 100,000 deaths. They're saying the next 100,000 deaths is going to occur in America in less time than the first 100,000 deaths did. Unbelievable. I want to ask you about sports. And so one of the things that I've been asking myself and asking Mm -hmm. out loud for athletes, we see a number of athletes getting it. They're young. They're in the best shape of anyone in society. These are world-class athletes. And we always talk about recovery with, you know, Mm -hmm. normal folks. But what does recovery Mm -hmm. look like for a world-class athlete? Are they really at at risk for residual illness or lung damage or by and large will most of them pretty much recover to be able to compete at the highest levels of their sports you would hope so but again you know let's go back to what i just said about immunity only lasting a couple of months so they're thinking hey if i already had it and i recovered i'm out here i'm practicing i'm fine i'm good i'm immune i have enough antibodies in my system Well, a couple months later, you have coronavirus again. So again, just because you might be at the top of your game, there's still a lot of athletes that do have, you know, childhood asthma in their history or have allergies in their history. The the top athletes suffer from allergies just like everyone else, you know? So, I mean, these are things that you have to consider. When I think about athletics and the fact that I'm seeing, you know, kids out there practicing again, these kids are not in these adults. They're not wearing face masks. So when you're out there practicing for a football, you're not putting on a face cover. Yet when you start to exercise at a very high level, you breathe in, you respire at a much larger volume. So you're breathing a much larger volume of air, you're sweating, and you're transmitting droplets at a much higher rate. And then you come into close contact with each other through just regular drills. So transmission becomes higher or the probability of transmission becomes higher because you are transmitting droplets up close and personal at a much higher rate than even if I'm sitting and talking to you and you're sitting even less than six feet away from me. If you're you're sitting right next to me, it's still different as opposed to me you and I, you know, um, working on, on uh, you know, just, just running drills or, or, or when I tackle you or vice versa. You know, we are, we're up close. We're breathing on each other. We're sweating. 
we're respiring, we're breathing in large amounts of air. So if you're bre- if I'm breathing out contaminated air at a higher rate, you're breathing in that contaminated air at a higher rate. And yet and still we've seen have get togethers of less than ten people in their house and one or two people end up testing positive for coronavirus and one of them ends up in the hospital. So it all, you know, everything just depends on the person. You know, and then I think about, okay, well, golf, if a golfer is not out golf the team, that's less risky, like a, a solo golfer, than if you are, you know, playing a team sport like basketball. Basketball, again, is very up close and personal. A lot of sweating, a lot of heavy breathing, a lot of, of spitting and droplet exchange. Up close and personal. You can't play basketball with a face mask on, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's unreasonable for me to say, oh, yeah, the athletes need to wear face masks. Yeah, and it seems like it's, mm-hmm. it seems it just seems like I mean the the economics of it I obviously are, right. are pushing things forward. I, oh, and I, sure. the the younger I mean and you talk about NFL guys they're, they're grown men they can make decisions on yeah. their own. I do worry more mm-hmm. about high school the kids. Children. Yeah, the yep. high school kids and middle school kids. I worry a lot more about Right. And even college. So, so right. do you? What do you think we will see as it pertains to sports? With because say, I mean, it looks like they're proceeding. What do you think right. we'll see? Will we'll see massive outbreaks? Will we we'll see? What do you? What do you anticipate seeing once uh, sports continue, especially football? Well, yeah. So the anticipation because football practice has already started around here. It started a couple of weeks ago. I've seen the. I've seen it online. I would expect to see, you know, outbreaks going up, outbreak numbers going up. And, again, it's going to take several weeks before you actually see that because they're exposing themselves now. You've got that incubation period where the virus is slowly creeping up. Then you can either be an asymptomatic transmitter or you can get symptoms. So, I mean, it's an unbelievable, yeah, unbelievably uh, difficult situation. Uh, A couple more things before we let you go. The Mm -hmm. African-American community, especially under 30, they're doing their thing. Mm -hmm. They're partying. Mm -hmm. What do Mm -hmm. you say to – because, again, I – you see people congregating. All you got to do, ride up and down uh, Emancipation or Alameda, and right. you you know right. what I'm talking about. What do you say to oh, all yeah. of the folks that are moving around and just not having much regard for this this illness? You know, uh, again, the reason that we're seeing the disproportionate rates within the African-American community is because, one, people believed, you know, in the beginning— that black people couldn't get it. Then that in combination with the fact that if you just boost your immune system, you're going to be fine. You're not going to get coronavirus. Both of those things have proven to be false. I definitely believe in boosting immunity. I definitely take supplements to boost my immunity, but that's not because I think it's going to stop me from getting coronavirus. That's because I want to give my body a better fighting chance if I get coronavirus. Okay, so building up immunity is helping your body to be stronger to fighting. You think about the PECs or the pre-existing conditions. So many people in the black community, brown communities as well, have diabetes, have uh, respiratory conditions, have asthma, have cardiovascular conditions such as high blood pressure. All of those are adversely affected by coronavirus, COVID-19 specifically. So this is when I see people just ignoring it. This is why I see more and more people. I've seen people that are my age. I've seen people that are younger, up close and personal. I lost a classmate 
to coronavirus. She has two young children. She's gone. She's way, she was way too young to die. And what really bothers me is when they make announcements, oh, the people who died of coronavirus, this person was this age, they had a pre-existing condition. This person was this age, they had a pre-existing condition. A lot of us live just fine with pre-existing conditions. So I don't like discounting or saying, well, too bad for them. They had a pre-existing condition, so the virus got them. It's not going to get us. Again, if you look at the number of people that have pre-existing conditions or who have decreased immunity from having cancer, from going through chemotherapy and radiation, from being on a biologic that artificially lowers your immune system, there's such a large percentage of that within minority communities, black, brown, and yellow, and white communities, that this is why you're seeing more and more people that have coronavirus. Not, again, I don't want to talk politics, but, you know, when you see people that are going out and saying, I'm going to go inside a, a building and I'm going to gather with a bunch of people and I'm not going to wear a mask, but, and at the same time, they're saying, yeah, we've known, we know some people that died of coronavirus. You just wonder why they're taking the risk. Why would you take that risk when you personally know people that have died? So it is, it is unbelievable. And then I had people tell me in the beginning, why do you keep posting people that are dying and why are they all black? And I'm like, it's not my fault that they're all black. But in the very beginning, the first few weeks, we kept seeing black men in their 40s and 50s and 60s dying of coronavirus. Again, that is an, the older you get, you're more at risk, but the young people are getting it too. And young people can be at risk if they have pre-existing conditions, and a lot of young people do. When you're talking about football, you know, we can talk about the fact that there's so many undetected cardiovascular conditions as well, which is why you've seen kids that just dropped dead during practice and not even know that they had an enlarged heart, that they had an irregular heartbeat, that they had some type of cardiovascular condition. This happens because of the environmental factors that people are exposed to on a routine basis pre-COVID. So all of that puts you at a higher risk. So when you take these chances, I don't, I can't explain it to you. The, the statement that we're going to die of something, it, it doesn't really make logical sense because your family members are left with the aftermath and when you have people that have young children and now those children don't have a parent or maybe both to guide them i'm talking to people every day that say three people in my family now have coronavirus we're watching the little one because the kid has it too grandfather uncle and nephew all have it It's just not worth it, and I know people are saying that they're going to chance it, and I can't stop them from chancing it. I just wish that if they were going out, that they would wear, they would keep the hand, they would wash their hands first. They would make sure they wore a face mask, not under the chin, over the nose and the mouth. You have to cover the nose and the mouth, and that, you know, when you come inside, wipe your face face and skin off because everything that's in the air lands on your skin, lands on your clothes, lands on your shoes. Take that mess off, put it in a separate bag or a separate container that you can close the lid on and isolate that stuff until you can wash it. Stop tracking that stuff into your living space and cross-contaminating your home 
or people that live with you. Last question I have for you uh, okay. before we let you get out of here. A partner of mine, one of my good friends, he has to. He has no other choice for business mm-hmm. reasons. He has to get on a plane. What do you mm-hmm. what 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 I tell my boy about that? Because he's he's really he yeah. he doesn't want to do it. Uh, yeah. And he's concerned. What do you what do you tell what what do you tell folks who have to fly? So when I flew, when coronavirus first started, mid-March, I brought the Clorox wipes. I wiped all the surfaces down, top of the tray, bottom of the tray, side, all the seats, everything. The first time I did it, I also kept a Ziploc bag to put my contaminated wipe in. By the time I was flying back from that same trip, the flight attendants were going around and saying, if anybody with wipes, we're going to collect your wipes. Very good. They tout their HEPA filtration system, which is high-efficiency particle removal system. That stuff does not trap viruses. So it doesn't trap coronaviruses. You're in an enclosed environment. The longer the flight, the worse the air quality is going to be. So shorter flights are better, but if it's longer, keep the face mask on at all times. If you can cover your hair, cover your hair. Because, again, your hair is going to be carrying, you know, all of the droplets that are in there, too. If someone is sneezing and they're not wearing a mask, again, that can go 10, 25 feet within the plane, aerosolize, and just go around. So hopefully they're making sure everybody is wearing these face masks. That's all you can do. And then, you know, like I said, as soon as you get where you're going, take off the clothes, take off everything, try to spray them down. If you can find a personal size Lysol or some type of disinfectant, disinfect everything immediately. Bag stuff separately from your clean clothes. You want to, you definitely want to do that. If you can use luggage that isn't porous, not made of cloth, the hard stuff, that's even better because that protects your contents inside and it's easy to wipe down and decontaminate. Now, how can folks reach out and catch up with you on social media, on your website, all of that information? Because I'm sure yes. that, uh, I mean, we can't even broach all of the questions people have. But if they want to ask questions or just get information, how can they reach sure. out to you? So you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Dr. Noreen. That is D-R-N-O-R-E-E-N. At Facebook, my page is at Dr. Spelled Out. So Facebook.com forward slash Dr. Spelled Out, Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-N-O-R-E-E-N. You will see me with the lab coat on. and You'll know that's the right page. (laughs) <laughs> and you can send me an email info at dr noreen with dr spelled out that is also my website definitely like my page on facebook that's where i put the most content out and if you want me to answer a question in a video i will answer a question in a video i cannot get to everything but i get to those pressing issues and sometimes unfortunately you know on social media like i said if you're not paying to Paying to put your content in people's feeds, even if you like my page, make sure you make sure you visit because people are asking me stuff about how to properly wear a mask, not knowing that I've posted that two or three times already. Right. Well, you're doing a great public service by by Thank talking so to much. us now, and, and again, I hope you feel uh, appreciated because what you're doing is is really important uh, because again this thing is is you the politics are are really kind of clouding everybody's judgment the economics of everything are clouding judgment and it's good to hear from someone who is just a medical expert they don't have a an agenda one way or the other just based on 
statistical information and the information from uh, what you guys have seen already. So I certainly appreciate it. And I'm sure on behalf of all the folks that listen, uh, they appreciate this information as well. Thank you, Devin. I love, you know, love you, love all of you, you know, out there in in the world because we all just need to be staying safe and follow me, reach out. You know, I'm here for you guys. And I appreciate this opportunity. I'm honored to be able to help whenever I can. Maybe the next time we talk, it'll be because we've overcome <laughs> COVID right. and, and, and we, we found a vaccine. What, what, real quick, and I didn't think to ask this earlier, what do you think the timetable is for a vaccine at this point? Now, we're, we're 90 days Ooh. away from where we yeah, talked before. What, what do you, I know. The good thing about this is that there's a race for a vaccine and there's several people looking for it. And that may mean that some of the lags or delays that are normally in place for normal vaccine development may be bypassed. Those things are also scaring people. <laughs> so here's, here's my, my guess. They're saying next year, but that's lightning speed. Generally, it takes two to three years to develop a vaccine, especially a new one. So hopefully we'll see one next year. But again, I think that's a moving target, and I certainly don't want you to say Talkstock said it was going to be in November 2021. Now, if it happens <laughs> to be that, then I'm psychic. But <laughs> but uh, again, um, that's yeah, it's it's a tough question. Everything is is changing and dynamic still. But again, this is the worst time, especially for the southern states throughout the southern region, even in in California, Florida, Georgia. South the Carolinas, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama. Again, the number of people who are going into the, into the hospital, that's going up, and that's a problem. We don't want to no longer have capacity, and we're already over capacity in a lot of places. Yeah, well, it's a tough, tough time, but thank you so much for helping us navigate it. Thank you. That was Dr. Noreen Con Mayberry, the tox doc. And you know, it's not the most uplifting conversation, but to know better is to do better. And I hope we all do better. Again, I know this has been a point of emphasis for me, uh, but as we start to ramp up and get back into sports, these conversations will not resonate as much as they do now uh, because pretty soon everything will be back to uh, the new normal for good or bad. So with that, it's time for... No, I'm on a road. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player team entity person in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Now, last time out, we went outside of the world of sports, and I sort of created a subcategory of Lamont award recipients and i think we're gonna keep in well we're gonna definitely keep with that theme this time out and we may have that going forward these folks are what we call the covid dummy okay these are people who have ignored what science has said and what what the medical community and medical experts have said to do what the hell they wanted and it bit them in the this time out, it's the world's number one tennis player on the men's side, Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic is as a part of a, a trio of great players right now, and he's the best of them right now. You have him, you have Rafael Nadal, and Roger Federer. Federer's kind of getting old. Nadal's always beat up. 
But there's several other great players, but he is the number one player in the world. And, of course, with the tennis schedule being all jumbled, there's a question mark whether he'll play in the U.S. Open. All of the majors are sort of the timing and the scheduling is all the way off. It's a, I mean, it's screwed up like a lot of other things in the world of sports. So what has he been doing with his downtime? Well, let's take a trip to Belgrade, Serbia. Top-ranked tennis player Novak Djokovic announced Tuesday that he and his wife have COVID-19 after he played in a series of exhibition matches he organized in Serbia and Croatia with zero social distancing amid the corona pandemic. So, zero social distancing. They had crowds. It was a party. They were dancing, playing basketball, shirtless, doing the whole damn thing. They were they were partying like it was 1999 before we even heard of, or actually it could have been 2019. Partying like it was 2019. You can't do that anymore. Can't do it anymore. He, along with a couple of other tennis players, all contracted COVID and Djokovic's wife has it as well. So he does this zero social distancing, just do, sort of ha ha ha, COVID what? And now he has COVID. He says, unfortunately, this virus is still present and it is a new reality that we're still learning to cope and live with. I'm hoping things will ease with time so we can all resume our lives the way they were. And he goes on to say, I'm extremely sorry for each individual case of infection. I hope it will not complicate anyone's health situation and that everyone will be fine. But you know what? You can't guarantee that because you don't know who's in the crowd, who had pre-existing conditions. You would like to think that people in the crowd knew they had pre-existing conditions and, and took precautions and didn't take to an exhibition tennis game. But if they didn't, it's probably because they thought that, hey, Novak Djokovic said it was okay. And if Novak Djokovic says it's okay, I'm going to go out and watch world number one, Novak Djokovic. And guess what? You got what you may have gotten sick. He definitely did. His wife did. Hopefully, again, I want everybody to be well. I I shared the sentiment uh, that he had in the article. I hope everybody gets well, too, and everybody can resume their lives. But until we know that they can, we shouldn't do things like this. And for that reason, Djokovic, Joker, you're COVID dumb and you are a big dummy. You big dummy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll put a great big bow on this one. But before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys. Want to thank the Tox Doc. Want to thank Danny Arnold for joining me. Want to remind you guys, go to the WadesWordProductions.com website. Call the sports line, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. And you can hit me up at the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook and at Wade's Word on Twitter. Look forward to coming to you very soon again. But until next time, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.